Okay, well, I get to bring the message today. I'm so excited. Ben and Garen are both gone. It feels kind of like mom and dad are out of town. I won't say which one mom is. I don't, Ben told me he would watch, but we'll see if he does or not, because he will definitely say something to me if he heard that, so. Um, Okay, so in this week's reading, John 14 through 19, Jesus was speaking a lot about the Holy Spirit, and so that is the focus of what we're going to be speaking about today. And so I have to start by telling you um, that sometimes, you know, I have a daughter, Maggie. Oh, here she is. Am I on? Here we go. My daughter, Maggie, is five. She'll be six soon. And, uh, man, it's hard to talk about your kids, even in funny stories. Uh, Sometimes she doesn't believe me when I tell her things. And it's because I joke with her so much that when I'm telling the truth, she, like, doesn't believe me. Like, if you're a dad, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but it's kind of reality. Like, um, I'll mess with her a lot of times. She'll be like, Dad, do you want some of my ice cream? I'll say, oh, I don't like ice cream. You know that. So I, I mess with her. And then the next day, I'll be like, hey, I, I want you to know I'm coming to get you early, and we're going to go to Sonic and, and hang out for a little bit. And she'll say, you're joking. No, we're not. And she won't believe me. Right, Max? Yeah, you know that's true. And so there's times where she won't believe me. And I, I thought it was funny because when I read John 16, 7 this week, it seems like one of those moments with Jesus and the disciples. Not because he was always joking, but they wouldn't believe him because in 16, 7, Jesus says, guys, it is better for you that I go away. And you kind of see this reaction. You can imagine how they felt like, man, there's no way. There's no way that's true. That it's actually better for us that you would go away, Jesus, than if you were here. I mean, this was a wild statement. They didn't understand it. But what Jesus was talking about in that verse is that he would leave so that the Holy Spirit could come. And so that's what we're going to dive in today, is, is if that's true, if it's actually better that the Holy Spirit is here rather than Jesus in the flesh, then we need to understand who the Holy Spirit is, and we need to understand what his purpose among us is, because this is a big, big statement, and we know it's true because it's from Jesus, and so I want us to try and wrap our minds around it. So today, our objective is kind of threefold. One, who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Bible tell us about him? What does he do? What is his job among us? What is, what is he doing actively in us and through us? And why is it better that he is here rather than Jesus? Because that seems like a pretty bold statement, but it's true. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about those things. So the first thing is who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, okay? Meaning he is one of the three distinct persons that makes up our triune God. Um, and the details of the Trinity are something that are not fully understood by us. I don't think anybody, any theologian would, ever would, would stand up here and say, I fully understand the Trinity. But Clark Pinnock describes the Trinity about as well as I've heard in his book, Unbounded Love. So if you'll let me look down for a minute, I'm going to read what Clark Pinnock says about the Trinity and how he explains it. He says this, he says, God is love. And God invites humanity into a loving family fellowship. The doctrine of the Trinity fits this idea perfectly because God is is not like a solitary person, but he is like a society of persons. The gospel declares God to be a fellowship of the Father, Son, and Spirit in the unity of one essence. Essentially, a fellowship of loving mutual relationships. So God is a fellowship of three distinct persons. This model of God and Christian faith helps us understand the purpose of creation. God creates in order to create love and relationships because he delights to hear in the, 
he, decides, he delights to hear in the love of finite persons an echo of the love that constitutes his own reality. So God himself is this perfect fellowship, and he creates finite people so that he can hear a small echo of that in us when we're living the way that he calls us to. I think that's really cool. He continues here, and he ends it well. He says, Jesus is differentiated from the Father and Spirit while sharing deity with them. Father and Son are not metaphors of an earthly relationship. These names point to in a relation, I'm sorry, these, these names point to a relationship that together with the Spirit constitute a threefoldness of God. For this reason, we are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and Spirit, three centers of divine personality and activity. This is why Paul speaks of receiving love from the Father, grace from Jesus Christ, and fellowship in the Spirit. Salvation has a triune structure. We have been chosen by the Father. We have been redeemed by the Son, and we have been sealed by the Spirit. And I love that because it not only tells us about the nature of God, but it tells us about our nature and why we're here, that we are this faint echo of perfect relationship that our triune God desires to see in us. I think that's really cool. And while this, it, it's logical, it makes sense, you can't really fully wrap your mind around it, like we said. Like, there's no way you're fully going to understand this. But in a weird way, I'm okay with that, Right? I don't want to fully understand my God. Would he be worth worshiping at that point if I could, right? I resonate with another pastor who says, I understand a lot of things well. I don't want my God to be one of them. If you could understand God perfectly, would he really be worth your life? I don't think so. So that is extremely briefly um, how the Holy Spirit exists within the triune God, but what does the Bible tell us about him? So let's take a minute and kind of go through this week. If you were reading in John 14 through 19, what has Jesus told us about the Holy Spirit and what does the Bible tell us? So in John 14, 16, and in 26, he tells us uh, that he is a helper, right? This comes from a Greek word that is translated to the word paraclete, which is a weird word we never use, but this word is one whose primary objective it is to be in service to another, to be at someone else's side in a secondary role. So this is the Holy Spirit. He is a paraclete. He is one who is, his nature is that he would come alongside and be a helper, right? So you're thinking paraclete. Did he say parakeet? No, I did not say parakeet, David. Pay attention. I did not say parakeet. I said paraclete, not parakeet. Paraclete. Okay, good. We're all on the same page. Excellent. Guys, I teach middle school eight months out of the year. So these are the jokes, okay? So this is... This is what we got. It's, this word is really good, paraclete, because in some translations, it is, it is translated the advocate, which is the same word used by John when he later wrote 1 John. And in 1 John 2, 1, he says this of Jesus. He says, uh, he says Jesus is an advocate with the Father. And so we see that the Holy Spirit and Jesus, they are, they are of the same nature. They are both advocates for us. Now, that word advocate is so interesting because an advocate is not unbiased in any situation. If you are advocating for something, you have stake in that game, right? Like, you, you want something to happen. Think about a lawyer arguing before a judge on behalf of his or her client, right? He is, he is their advocate. He is hoping things turn out that way. And this is the nature of both Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is present with us, and he is not um, unaffected by what happens to us. He is for us. He is here to encourage and to help, and he is working for our good and for God's glory. He is our side. He takes our side. He works for us in ways that we will talk about in just a minute. In that same verse, 14, 16, Jesus says that he will send another advocate, right? So when he says someone else is coming, 
he uses this word another. And this word another in the Greek, it means another but of the same kind, which tells us that the Holy Spirit and Jesus, they're of the same nature. They have the same purpose. They are working towards the same goal. It's not like Jesus says, hey, I'm leaving and someone else is coming. I hope he rolls the same way I do. No, he knows his nature. He knows that the Holy Spirit will do just what Jesus did for us, bring us into closer relationship with the Father. In this verse, Jesus also says that he will be with you forever, which to us is just, it's normal. But to them, that was really special because up until this point, the Holy Spirit did not live within people for, any, for, for an extended amount of time. Up until this point, the Holy Spirit would come and he would work alongside someone. He would come upon someone. He would fill someone briefly in order to accomplish a job. And then when that job was done, that spirit would leave him once again. And so the Holy Spirit wasn't, wasn't one who came and filled us yet because Jesus was still here, right? There's a few ways that, that we see this played out in the Old Testament, right? In, in Judges 6, Gideon is commanding his troops. And it says the Holy Spirit filled him as he was speaking to them, right? Samson, in Judges 15, goes to the, the Valley of Lahai, and he slays a thousand Philistines. And it says the Spirit came upon him so that he could do that. With, excuse me. When David is anointed king in 1 Samuel 16, it says the Spirit of the Lord filled him in that moment, right? So we see God's Spirit coming and filling people for a time and then leaving once that job is done. But what Jesus promises here is something totally different. He promises the Holy Spirit will be with us Forever, He would no longer be with us for a time to accomplish a purpose. He would take up residence inside us. He would make us his dwelling place, which once again to us in 2021 is, is like a no-brainer. But for them, this is new. This is incredible that the, the Holy Spirit would come and live inside them. And we see this in the New Testament. This, this is just a few. In, in Titus 3.5, right? It says that anyone who accepts Christ has new life through the Holy Spirit. In 2 Peter 1.4, it says that we share in God's divine nature, meaning we share his Holy Spirit. In 1 John 4.15, it says that we will have God living in us if we are in Jesus, right? We see the Holy Spirit coming and indwelling. Now, before the, the event known as Pentecost in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is seen, dwell, is seen dwelling among us, right? He is here for a time, but after that, he comes and he dwells within us. Another, another thing that Jesus tells us about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 17 is that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, meaning that if there is any way we are going to know God's absolute truth, if there's any way we're going to read our Bible and pull something out of it, if there's any way we're going to confess Jesus as Lord and repent of our sins and find a whole new identity in him, it has to happen through the Holy Spirit. He is the one who leads us into that truth. If anyone, if anyone has... Uh, something spiritual happen inside them, it's not, it's not their doing, right? If someone comes to know the Lord or repents of sin, it's not a physical act. That's not something we can will ourselves into. It is God's spirit leading us into, into that and enabling us to do that. I really love what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit in John 16, 1. He says this. This is from the NCV, which is what our My Time with God devos are written in. He says, I have told you these things to keep you from giving up. He says, I am telling you about the Holy Spirit so that you will not give up in faith. He is your encourager, right? This is Jesus' pep talk before he's about to go back into heaven and leave these guys that he has walked with so faithfully, right? He's leaving them. He says, hey, guys, I'm leaving, but here's your pep talk. He doesn't say, you can do it. 
He doesn't say, we've been through a lot, and I believe in you guys. You're really strong. He doesn't even say, hey, you'll have each other, so lean on each other. He says, I'm leaving, but you will have the Holy Spirit, and I'm leaving him here so that you will not give up on this journey of faith. The Holy Spirit is our encourager. He is, he is what enables us to, to keep walking in faith. So that is very briefly, once again, who the Holy Spirit is. But what does the Holy Spirit do? Or, Charles, you're going to love this one, to quote the 1990s classic kindergarten cop, who is your daddy and what does he do? <laughs> right, Charles? Me and kindergarten cop, we were both released in 1990, so I had to, <laughs> I had to share that one. So in John 14, 16, Jesus tells us a few things that the Holy Spirit does. I thought about doing the rest of the sermon from this point in my Arnold voice, but we want to keep online viewers. You guys have to stay here, but they would have logged out. So in 1426, he says this, The Holy Spirit will teach you everything, and he will cause you to remember all that I have told you. Once again, the Holy Spirit leads us into spiritual truth. If we see anything in the text and it resonates with us, you've all had a quiet time where you've read something and it's hit you hard. That's not you being especially bright that day. That's not you being really smart. That is God's Spirit leading you into that and convicting you of that or encouraging you with that. That is evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit. No human person can lead themselves into spiritual truth. Nothing physical can beget spiritual. Does that make sense? We need the Holy Spirit if we are to understand what God has for us and internalize it. And God is so wise because he didn't create a verse for every specific life situation, but he absolutely uh, created a verse for something that applies to you in, in every situation. So it's not specific, but there's nothing you're going to face in your life that the Holy Spirit cannot lead you into truth and give you advice about in the Bible. Like, for instance, there's no specific verse about how to save for your future or how to save for your kid's future. There's no verse that says invest in this way or do this percentage or whatever. But God is so wise because in the Proverbs he tells us that a wise man saves for the future, that the blessings of the Lord bring wealth, that diligent hands bring wealth, right? There's no specific verse about how to resolve a fight with a friend, but Colossians tells us to forgive one another as Jesus has forgiven us. And Ephesians tells us to put off all bitterness and anger because that belongs to our old self, not our new self in Christ. And this is how the Holy Spirit convicts us of these things when we are in the text and he can show us these things. This is God speaking to us. And the more that we know God's word, the more these verses will populate our minds at the appropriate times. And it is all, once again, by the Holy Spirit. He, first of all, brings us into a place where we are willing to acknowledge the text as truth. He, he brings us to the text, and he opens our spiritual eyes so that we can see what God has for us. And then he enables us, by his spirit, to do what God wants rather than what our flesh wants. It is so because of the Holy Spirit that we're able to read our Bibles, get knowledge from it, and act accordingly. Jesus says in 16.8 that the Holy Spirit will come and convict the world of sin of God's righteousness, and of coming judgment. This is something else that he will do. You see, the Holy Spirit is that tug that you feel on your conscience when you are acting against God's will. He reminds us that we were made to live the righteous life that God has called us to. And his presence in the world is proof that something has gone wrong, right? The Holy Spirit wouldn't be here if everything was great. He is here because we need a helper. We need an advocate. Something has gone wrong at some point, and we need help. Knowing God here on earth, his very presence proves it. It proves that God's judgment is coming. 
It proves that those who will not trust him will not be with God forever. Jesus says also in 1613 that the Holy Spirit leads us into truth and he speaks only what he hears, meaning that his agenda, once again, is not different than the Father and Son. I don't want us to have an understanding of the Holy Spirit that God's got his thing that he cares about and Jesus has this thing that he cares about and the Holy Spirit's doing his thing over here about what he cares about. They are triune, they are They are working together for one goal, right? To restore all things to the Father, to make all things new. They are are one essence working towards this together in different ways. And the last thing that Jesus tells us of the Holy Spirit is perhaps the one that stands out the most to me. Because in 1427, he says this. He says, I leave you peace. And he's referring to the Holy Spirit. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world does. So don't let your hearts be troubled or afraid. Guys, I love this, and it stuck out to me this week, because we, every day, need a wake-up call to the fact that the world will not give us peace. And we say it all the time, and it's Church 101, and you've heard it a million times, but there's a reason we're likened to sheep in the Bible. It's because we forget things often, and we wander our own way often. And this week, at some point, you were convinced that you could find peace elsewhere, And you maybe even acted on it, and it undoubtedly came up short. And I'm right there with you. Jesus says he leaves us his peace. He leaves us the Holy Spirit, and he is the only one who can fill that hole. Undoubtedly, to some degree, you walked in this morning feeling a lack of peace about something. And your flesh would have you fill it with whatever the world tells you will make it better. And the Holy Spirit is saying, man, I'm here because I am that puzzle piece. I give peace in a way the world does not. There is nothing in the world, no relationship, amount of money, security, status, whatever, that will bring the peace that you crave. And you crave it because we're humans and we're all the same, and I know that you do because I do too. Only the Holy Spirit can give you that gift. And that's because the world offers things sparingly, selfishly, and for a short amount of time. The world is not generous like our Father is generous, right? God's gifts are given in abundance. They are given out of love for us, for our good and his glory. Anything the world gives us is to benefit itself, right? You know that. You have to know that. Anything the world gives you is for the benefit of the world. It is not for your benefit. I mean, think about it, right? How many times have you seen these things? Oh, they're so generous, right? Hey, Target. Kate, Target's having a sale. 20% off, Kate. Oh, really? 80% on, Kate. That's what I think. They are not looking to benefit you. They are looking to benefit themselves. You've heard that there's no such thing as a free lunch. It's absolutely true, right? There's no such thing as a free lunch. The world looks to benefit itself in its generosity. On the other hand, James tells us that God gives generously, right? And without finding fault. God is so generous in the peace that he will give, and he has the real stuff. The world is stingy, and it has a knockoff. And anyone who is a child of God knows how generous he is. You know how generous he is with his creation and the things that he makes to capture your heart. You know how generous he was by giving his son for you. You know how generous he is on a daily basis with his grace and mercy when we we don't measure up. You know the generosity of God to be true if you are one of his children. Okay, on to our third question. Maybe the one that we're most curious about today. Maybe those first two, you went to Emporia Christian School, and they taught you that stuff, or you've read the Bible and heard that. But, but this is a question we haven't thought about a lot. Why is it better that the Holy Spirit is here rather than Jesus? How could that really be true? 
Now, this is a huge statement, and we have to consider what it meant in light of the Jews at that time and also our position here today. Because Jesus was and is Messiah. He was the promised one to the nation of Israel for over a thousand years, right? He was, he was foretold that he would come and heal the nations. He would gather up God's people. He would usher in a new kingdom. And so the Jews are looking for this Messiah all the time, keeping their eyes open, talking about when will he be here. He is the one who was promised in Genesis 3.15. As soon as creation is made, it is, it is ruined. And then this one is promised who would come and crush the head of the serpent, who would end human suffering, who would, re- not, who would reunite us with the Father once again. Right? We're only three chapters into the whole Bible, and the promise of Jesus comes in loud and clear. They've been waiting for him forever. Now, throughout the Old Testament, God's people would build these things called tabernacles. These were, these were tents where the, the Holy Spirit, where God's Spirit would come and dwell, right? It, it's a place where God's space and human space could intersect. Think of it like this, right? The, those very few places where we could be present with God on earth. It was really rare and it was really special, and the tabernacle had a ton of specifications that it had to be made perfect for God's Spirit. But here's the cool thing is that the Messiah himself was tabernacle. He tabernacled among us, meaning that he was the intersection of God and human space. Everywhere that he went, God's presence went. Everywhere that he went, this new kingdom was was there too. He healed the sick. He forgave sin. He loosened the chains of death and despair in a way that following the law could not. People have been trying to be right with God forever, and they could not. And he is the one who's going to usher in this new kingdom that says, you are right with God. Jesus, Garen is Jesus now. Garen said last week that Jesus himself is the resurrection, right? He didn't bring resurrection. He was and is the resurrection. And now his disciples know all this. And they, they hear Jesus say, even though I fulfill all these things and I am the intersection of God and human space and you've never met one like me, it is better that I leave you. Can you even imagine the confusion, the anger, the sadness that would have overcome them, right? It's hard to let somebody you love go. Anybody, it's hard to let them go. But the Messiah, like, can you even imagine? Um, whenever our family comes to visit, like, our, like my parents or Kate's parents or whatever, when they, when they leave, there's a mailbox at the end of our property. I say property like we live on, like, a farm, like it's a yard. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. At the end of our yard... And so you drive, and we always tell Maggie, like, she likes to run with the car, like, in our yard. So you run with the car, but you got to stop at the mailbox, right? So this always starts as this thing where, like, oh, they're getting in the car. It's exciting. Oh, bye, Nana, Papa, bye. We're so happy. And as they, like, she's happy, she's running. Oh, it's great. We're saying bye. And as soon as she gets to the mailbox, she stops, and they keep going. And her face just, like, drops. And she just cries every time because they're gone, and it just hits her. And that's what I thought of. With this, like, these disciples, they've been learning from Jesus. They've just seen him alive again. Like, yes, let's go. It's time to roll. And he's like, I'm leaving. They're just like, wait a minute. This is like a mailbox moment. Like, okay, you're going, and we're staying. Couldn't have been a good feeling. So how in the world is it to their advantage that he would leave? Well, there's two big ways, I think. Number one is that the absence of Christ allows the Holy Spirit to indwell us. Remember, up until this point, it was not possible for God's Spirit to to dwell in us because he was here among us, right? The only way that the Holy Spirit can indwell us is for Christ to leave. 
And that's an incredible gift that they wouldn't have ever imagined. Sometimes I think we forget what a powerful gift that is. Right now, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have confessed your sin to him and you are living your life for him and you're coming to know him more and more every day, the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Creator is literally inside you right now. Like that is incredibly wild. Romans 8.11 says the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is inside you. Like have you thought about that? The spirit that was present in the tomb with Jesus, who entered into his cold, dead body and brought him back to life, that same spirit entered into you the moment you gave your life to Jesus. And he now dwells within you and, and enables you through his giftings to accomplish his purpose here on earth. Like, we don't think about our faith like that very often. We think, it, we think of it in much more, like, boring terms. But it's really incredible when you stop to think what the spirit actually does inside of us. You see, our problems, they seem so small when we consider who is living in us. It's really incredible. Our daily struggles shrink when we remember that he lives inside us. And not only does he live inside you, but he is for you. Remember, he is your advocate. He is not one who is present, and he's like, man, I really hope Kylie does the right thing today. Like, I really hope she crushes it on Waymaker again. You know, like, he is alive inside you, and he is helping you towards that goal, right? He is here for, for your good and God's glory, and he is working with you. That's really neat. Like, I can't get over that. that I geek out over that. That's crazy. The second thing is this. It's that the absence of Christ allows our faith in him to grow. Think about that. If Jesus were still here, it would require much less faith <laughs> to follow him, right? I mean, you're, you're seeing him physically. In John 20, 29, Jesus tells Thomas, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have seen me and do not believe, right? There is an unstoppable driving hope that fuels us as believers who know that we're going to see Jesus again. That one day we're going to be in his physical presence one more one day in the future. So, so his, his absence and the Holy Spirit's presence, it is to our advantage. It grows our faith. It allows God's Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Guys, I want to wrap up our time today by talking about perhaps the most important part of all this. And that's how can I be aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life? Because up until this point, we haven't really gotten to application. But how do I know that God's spirit is with me or that he's in me or that he's working because I don't want to be somebody who's spinning my wheels and not actually doing it for real. So how do I know it's for real? Because to be honest, I don't feel it all the time. It's not like I wake up and I'm like, oh, God's spirit, I feel that within me. Like, it's not always like that. The Bible tells us there are signs by which to recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit. And just like you can recognize the signs of the Holy Spirit. If you're a parent, you probably know when your kids have been in a room, right? This is Jet. Honestly, it's the best picture I could find of him because this is just him. You're probably like, you could have taken a picture of him in a polo. Well, not really because for two hours he is and then he's not. So Jet is two. He'll be three very soon. And as you can see from this picture, he's kind of a wild guy. And you can always see the signs that Jet has been in the room. Generally, like something is sticky or there is an entire apple with a single tiny bite taken out of it in the middle of the room. Like, it's just, you see the signs of Jet when he's places, right? So just like I can, I can discern when Jet has been in the room, there are signs that we can discern the Holy Spirit is around too. The Bible tells us this, that these things mark the Holy Spirit. These are things that he brings. And so this is like his trail of breadcrumbs. When we see these things, we know he is close by. In John 15, 11, it says, he is a bringer of joy. 
Galatians 5.16 talks about how he brings freedom from sin. We're not talking about self-help. We're talking about real spiritual freedom from sin. Galatians 5.22 and 23, the spiritual fruit that, that I don't have to go through because you know it. The spiritual fruit that Jesus brings, that Jesus, that the Holy Spirit brings in your life when you are following him faithfully. In John 14.27, we just read this otherworldly peace. I'm sure you've been in a situation where you're like, you know what? It looks bad right now. But for some reason, I have this peace inside me. I mean, that's the Holy Spirit indwelling you. He's that constant peace that, that my circumstances don't depend on my circumstances. They, they depend on what the Holy Spirit is doing in me. And so when we see these things, we know that the Holy Spirit is near. So maybe another question you're asking is, how do I know when he's trying to tell me something? How do I discern the Holy Spirit's direction? This is a question I hear so much in student ministry. If you ever are around believers, we all have this question. How do I discern what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell me. Well, there's a few ways that God has directed his people by his spirit throughout the Bible. But first, I want to say this. Before we even get into that, there is no substitute for being alone with God in his word. So if you're wondering this question and you haven't cracked your Bible in a month, like that's the place to start. We can't go anywhere until we start there. So being alone in God's word and allowing his word to wash over your mind, to change your mind, to change your heart and hear from him, that is step one. If you're making big decisions and you want to hear from God and you haven't been in your Bible for a while, that is the place. Even if you're not, even if you want to live by the Spirit, that's the place to start. But we see a few ways the Holy Spirit um, speaks to us. One is, is through the church, right? In Acts 13, 2, it says this, While the church was worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. You see, God gave the church specific insight into what Barnabas and Saul were what to do, right? We as the church, I'm not talking about a building or a logo or a name. We as God's people are a resource to one another in decision making. Anytime someone comes to me and says, I've got a big decision to make, what do I do? I talk to them about community decision making. Not putting it a vote to everybody, but getting a small group of believers around you. And you all praying together and you all walking through this together so the Holy Spirit can use the church as a resource to make decisions, right? We can be a resource to each other in discerning the will of the Holy Spirit. The next one is our giftings. Paul tells us that each of us is given a, manifesta a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, he says this. And it makes me think of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. When the kids are in the... Michelle, you're shaking your head. You already know this story. Have you read this book? When the kids are in the living room for Christmas morning and Father Christmas brings them a gift and they don't know that these gifts have specific purposes that they're going to use to defeat the white witch later. They just think they're cool gifts. But later, Peter learns that his sword is going to be used to lead an army. And Lucy learns that her, her healing ointment is going to be used on the battlefield, right? The Holy Spirit is the same way. He gives us these gifts when we accept Jesus into our hearts, when we, when we decide to live for him. And he places these things in us to give us a direction. So your giftings, a lot of the time, can tell you what God wants from you. Man, are you good at singing or leading music? Maybe that's your gifting. Maybe that's where he wants you. Are you good at this or that? So often, following your passions um, it can be a way the Holy Spirit can, can guide you, right? So your giftings can be in that, in that category as well. The next one is through our spirit. Throughout Scripture, we see uh, that God guides people in mission by putting special burdens on their heart, right? There's a reason that, that something that re resonates with you isn't resonating with me and vice versa because God calls us to different things. For instance, when, when Nehemiah left for Jerusalem to build its wall, he didn't have a special command from God. God did not speak down with a voice from heaven and say, Nehemiah, go do this. 
He just says what? He says that God, in Nehemiah 2.12, put it into his heart. And so often that's how it is with us. What has God laid on you that you can't shake? What is this thing that, that irks you in a special way? Man, God could be putting something on your heart that he has for you. And the last one is our circumstances. Throughout Paul's life, we see him interpret open and closed doors as an evidence of how the Spirit is leading him. In his first, in his first letter to the Corinthians, he explains that he will stay at Ephesus to preach because a door has been opened, right? So Paul is reading these signs and he's saying, man, these things are really working. I'm going to take that as God's Spirit leading me. Or, man, every time I try and preach the gospel in this place, doors are shut. People are not listening. I'm going to take that as a, as a door being closed. Now, this has to be approached really carefully because we don't want to hijack this and just say, well, I got fired from that job, so I guess God didn't want me to have it. No, like you didn't go to your job, so you didn't, you know, like you got fired. But, so you got to be careful, but in, in, a, in accordance with like praying and, and reading the word and doing things the, as faithful as you can, your circumstances can certainly be a way that God directs you by his spirit. So as we're at the end here, guys, the Holy Spirit... Um, is so often forgotten by us, right? But he is such a powerful tool. Sometimes I feel like we can become very binatarian, not trinitarian. Trinitarian meaning there are three pieces of the Godhead. Sometimes it's so easy to focus on the Father and the Son that we forget the Spirit exists, which is ironic because he is closer to us than either of those. He is literally inside us. And so I want us to be a people who embrace the Spirit, right? Who acknowledge his presence, who recognize uh, that he is within us, who are open to his nudgings, who are obedient to his direction and correction. And so that's where I'm going to leave you, TBC, that we would be a people who are, who are open to hearing those things. And before I do, I actually have, I forgot, I have four big takeaways. So you thought you were out of here, but not quite. Number one, if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is alive in you as a helper and encourager. Please remember that. Please remember that he is inside you and he is for you. Number two is that Jesus told us the Holy Spirit will teach us, remind us, convict us, and speak truth to us. That we would be on the lookout for these things. These are the ways that he interacts with us. When God says, I will send my spirit to live within you, it's not just like, cool, that's great. Be looking for these things. It is what he wants to do in and through you. Number three, that Christ's absence to our, is actually to our advantage. Because the Holy Spirit can now indwell us, and it actually grows our faith that he is not here with us. And number four is that we should look for the signs that the Spirit is at work. We should learn to discern his presence, that we should, um, we should use these things to know that he's at work within us, right? Uh, his church, his scripture, our passions, our circumstances. And so that is where I leave you today, TBC, that we would be a people who recognize all those things and live in the Spirit. So let me pray, and then uh, we'll be sent out of here. God, thank you for this group. I pray that I was faithful with the text to talk about your Holy Spirit, because he is alive and at work within those of us who, who are devoted to following you with our whole lives. And so I just pray that we'd be extra aware of his presence this morning um, and this week, God, that you would show us that you are working in us through those things that we talked about, that we would be sensitive to hearing his voice as we open your word, um, as we're decision-making and asking for friends to pray alongside us and decision-make with us, that we would sense your spirit, God, that, that you would just be so generous in sending him to us so that so that we could follow you better this week. Lord, we love you so much. I pray that we would be people who are obedient to the Spirit, that we would not live like the world, we'd be different, that we'd be convicted by your Scripture, and that you would grow us and encourage us by your Spirit every day. It's in your Son's name we pray all these things. Amen. All right, that is what I have. So TBC, you are sent to go be people who live 
in the Spirit. 